Backwards pass. That's a live ball. Picked up. Run down the sideline by Joe McKnight. At the 35. Cuts it back across the field to the 50. He's going to go all the way. He's at the 30. 20. No, they're going to catch him. I don't believe that anybody caught Joe McKnight at the 15-yard line. That was a backwards pass, a lateral. It bounced around on the field. McKnight had the presence of mind to pick it up. Nobody else was paying attention. And he scampers all the way to the Illinois 11-yard line. How do you do? fans it's time to get into the game with the peristyle podcast every week you can get your trojan football fix as the uscfootball.com staff brings you the latest on the usc football team and the inside scoop on recruiting and now here are your hosts of the peristyle podcast uscfootball.com publisher ryan abraham and the coach harvey hyde Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. This is episode number five. If you have any questions for us, you can always send us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. You can also download the podcast besides uscfootball.com on iTunes, and we have been one of the featured sports podcasts there. So if you go to the iTunes store, look up podcast, search for USC or Peristyle or podcast, any of those, and you can find the Peristyle Podcast. And today we're joined again by the coach Harvey Hyde. How are you doing today, coach? Ryan, I'm always doing good. When we get ready to talk football and special teams like you want to talk about today, I tell you, that's uh, something that a lot of people know a lot about and a lot of people don't know a lot about. So that's why we want to spend some time on sort of refreshing everybody as far as about special teams, the value of special teams, and what USC will be needing to work on. Yeah, you know, people talk about special teams more as an afterthought a lot of the times. It's really a third of the game. Is that When you were a coach, is that the way you looked at it, or did you look at it as kind of something that you had to put some time into, but you didn't really want to you know, put all your best resources in that area? Well, I tell you, I thought it was so important, special teams, that I made sure myself as a head football coach that I coached one phase of the special team myself, or two phases. And those phases were field goal and PAT and kickoff return. I, I always put myself in charge of those two areas i broke it down i knew what the coverages were i knew what the rushes were i knew everything and i taught that along with the help of all of my assistant coaches which meant all of my assistant coaches worked in the phase of all areas it wasn't like one person's responsibility yes we had a special we had a special uh, teams coach who now is with the denver broncos at scott o'brien but I'll tell you, special teams are huge, and I think it's important that head coaches, by being a part of special teams, indicate to the team how important they really are. So I made it made sure I didn't coach much, but two phases of the game that I coached itself was the kickoff return and PAT field goal portions because I wanted the team to understand, hey, if the head coach will teach it and break down the films and go over it with you, then that's how important it is. And I had all my assistants work with me on those two phases so that everyone knew that they were a part of special teams. Even if you were a defensive coordinator, you had a position to watch on the special teams to make sure everyone did it. All 11 people on the special teams did their job on every single uh, practice turn that we took. Now, Coach O'Brien you had there, was he the – uh, de facto special teams coordinator? Did he just work with kickers? How was his, what was his role on your team? No, I'll tell you what I did. I had a special teams coach. He, he coached special teams, and his main coaching responsibility, uh, he assisted some of the defensive staff members, and he worked with snappers. Because I thought that snappers were so important as far as the snapping of the ball back to the kicker, uh, whether it's PAT or whether it's a, a punt. So he worked with snappers, and then I had a graduate assistant coach at that time he was a walk-on coach we had different rules at that time that worked specifically just with the kickers just with the kickers because kickers are somebody that needs details kickers are somebody that needs somebody with them all the time walking around with them making sure they stay in shape making sure that they feel a part of the team that they don't just stand around and they feel like orphans I used to have someone always be with him that they could go to his office or they could call him up or they, he would eat with them or do something so the kickers didn't feel like, oh, we're just here. We're just 
you know, you look over at the sideline at practice, and there's the two guys standing there holding the helmet, no one's talking to them, so you feel sorry for them, you go over and talk to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. At USC practices, they usually have someone over there with them. Uh, and it's funny, there's so many kickers right now. I think they have four or five place kickers in there, a couple punters. So they, they seem to be able to keep themselves company. They goof around with a soccer ball sometimes. But I guess the reason I was asking you about Coach O'Brien is because one of the the, the biggest complaints we see on the site um, in the last several years has been that USC does not have a, a coach that's really dedicated to special teams. And if you look back, uh, back in the uh, 2002 season when they went and, and won the 2003 Iowa, Iowa comes off, returns the opening kickoff for a touchdown. And then obviously USC went on to, to stomp them after that. But th- it kind of was a, it was like a, just a good represent, representation of the entire season that USC really struggled on special teams. Then they brought in Dennis Lutak as a special teams um, assistant, and he was a graduate assistant. He seemed to work with all aspects of special teams. The special teams really improved those two seasons that he was in that role, two seasons as a graduate assistant. Um, I think Tom Malone ended up being an All-American punter. He averaged 49 yards per punt one year. Ryan Colleen set Pac-10 records both years uh, for PATs, and I think he had... 19 field goals in one of those years and USC won two national titles. And then since that point, they really haven't had a a dedicated special teams coach. Uh, Pete Carroll seems to have the philosophy now of letting each assistant coach uh, coach one aspect of special teams. And the actual coordinator of special teams is Todd McNair, the running back coach. But when you have eight, nine, 10 scholarship, you know, running backs in your stable, he probably doesn't get to spend much time, you know, coming up with all the special teams concepts, the, the blocking and the returns and such and things like that. What do you think about the current state of, of USC special teams and coaching? And do you think they need to bring someone in there that's special teams guy full time? Well, I'll tell you that my decision, that's Coach Carroll's decision as far as how he wants to best utilize his staff. And what, what that means by not having a special teams coach, that means you have another coach at a position or another coach doing something that you feel is more important, and his philosophy is obviously to give each coach of his staff uh, one portion of the kicking game so that uh, that person feels a part of the kicking game. Uh, I think myself that it's better to have a special teams coach. This is my opinion, not Coach Carroll's, my opinion, where that person takes it and works on it just year-round. I mean, breaks down the uh, highlight films, has videos of everybody's kickoff, kickoff coverages that you're going to play, makes highlight reels, has a whole, has a whole library uh, of everything. And it's very difficult to do that if you're coaching a position or you're a coordinator or so on. And, and this, this special teams coach then relays the information to the individuals who work with him in the special teams area. One coach can't coach at all. He asks the assistant coaches to assist him. But you have one coordinator who does it all. But in Coach Carroll's philosophy, obviously his philosophy is to give Todd uh, McNair, the coordinatorship, and then break it down to whoever coaches what portion of the special teams uh, to one of the full-time assistant coaches or GA or so on. But, of course, that's a philosophy, and you might get more out of another area. But as, as I've always felt, the kicking game has got to be sound. All phases of the kicking game has got to be sound. You can't have breakdowns in the kicking game. You can't have misjudged punts or balls rolling uh, dead on the one-yard line or not knowing where your punt return guy is on the field and not signaling for a fair catch and, and all the different things. You can't, you can't have uh, kickoff returns run back to your 40 or where, where, where they have great field position. You can't have block punts. You can't have bad snaps. You can't have missed field goals. You can't have those phases in a game. But when you play a great football team, the difference of a missed field goal or a made field goal or a missed extra point or a misjudged punt or, or a blocked punt can cost you a conference championship or cost your game. So I think the kicking game has got to be really sound. And the team must know how important special teams are. And you've got to give special teams time during your practice session. If special teams aren't going well, or they're breaking down, then you've got to take things away from other portions of your practice or lengthen your practice if necessary. You tell the guys, hey, we're going to make this important, and the team has got to know that. And you've got to put great players on your special teams. You can't always rely on backups maybe to 
to, to play a certain special team position if they don't have the ability to get it accomplished. So you've got to have snappers. I call them special people. Holders. They're special people. They've got to be able to anticipate a bad snap and still get that ball down there. You've got to have great kickers, punters, kickoff, and field goal and PAT people. You've got to have great return people, kickoff return and punt return people, especially with smartness and great hands. You've got to have almost like a captain of each one of these areas, kickoff, kickoff return, and so on, so that after a team scores or something happens, that individual makes sure those 11 people are ready to go onto the field. Because in the heat of battle, sometimes you only have 10 players on the field. Or you have to call a timeout. Or you see, how many times do you see a PAT team run on the field and they look to the sideline and they don't have an up back? Or you don't have a tight end? Heck, one time I had the punt team run on the field and we didn't even have a punter. He was back there. <laughs> this is true. He was back there messing around. We had 10 guys and no punter. And you won't believe this. The center snapped the ball. Oh, no. The center snapped the ball. I asked the center, who are you snapping it to? <laughs> so... so You've got to be able to. You've got to be able to make it important. You've got to make sure you have all your people on the field. People can't be taking a nap and thinking that special teams aren't important. And you got to teach, and they got to understand what special teams are. The kicking game, and what a great portion of the game, kicking the kicking game is. You know, Johnny Majors used to coach at Tennessee, the, the special teams, his, his, the whole thing himself. I coached Japan Bowl with Johnny Majors. Well, he was on the opposite side. I was on the west. He was on the east. When we were there, he coached every special teams, every special teams he coached. He wanted to coach him. And at Tennessee, when he was the head coach there, he said, Coach, he says, I coached every special teams myself because I wanted to make sure our teams knew how important the special teams are. Wow, and I think I think a lot of the USC fans that have been asking for a special teams coordinator would like to see something like that. Maybe not as dramatic as what you said with Johnny Majors or even like uh, Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech where they kind of pride themselves on special teams. It, it just seems like I think people have been waiting, and especially as these recruiting classes have developed, they've thought in the beginning when Pete Carroll first got there, I mean, they had to use some kind of starters on special teams, and I think they still do to some extent. But once they got a little bit more depth, especially on defense, and you had like this really deep linebacker core, people were thinking, well, now you have all these athletes everywhere. There's guys that are on the third string that could start other places. USC special teams are going to be out of this world. And I've, I've heard people talk about that, especially during recruiting season when they sign these guys. Well, this guy runs this time on the, you know, he ran this 100 or this 40 time. And they have a lot of speed and a lot of athleticism of guys that are kind of waiting their turn. And so you were expecting to see, well, while they're winning their turn, the special teams, just all the aspects of special teams, the kicking game, return coverage, all of that is going to be great. And it really hasn't. And do, do you think that's more on the coaching side or is just the athletes, maybe like you said, they're, they're not seeing it as an, as an important aspect as some of the other things. Like if I'm a linebacker, I'm really looking at trying to be the best backup middle linebacker I can be as opposed to, you know, just knocking it out on uh, punt return coverage. No, I think you have to uh, approach it as a player. You've got to be a player that if you have the chance to step on the field. I used to tell our teams, and I'm sure that that Coach Carroll does the same thing, if you're going to step on the field, you never know if that's going to be the player that makes a difference in the game. And every play is a big play. You play a football game play by play by play by play by inch by inch by yard by yard. And you never know what inch or what play is going to make a difference in a football game. And I think you have to have pride in the special teams, and I think you don't always have to be a starter to play on the special teams. In fact, I didn't want to use my starters really on the special teams if I had someone equal who had the ability to play because that person would take more pride in it. He would rest on that team. A lot of times starters might rest a little bit, but they know after they cover the kickoff they've got to play on defense. So you want to you want to build that pride into the special teams that you can use backups and, hey, USC – has got material that their special teams, they wouldn't have to use starters. They yeah. really wouldn't have to use starters. Uh, they would get their linebackers out there and the strong safeties out there and the people out there that are necessary to cover a, a punt or a kickoff or whatever's necessary. And, uh, you know, special hands, onside kick. You know, they've got people now, an onside kick, normally you want to have all your athletes on the field. 
because that's the difference in a football game. If you don't get the ball, the other team might beat you. Yeah, you want to get so, the hands team you, out there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You better all, get all your guys out there. Or a guy like so, Brian Cushing who ended up returning that one uh, onside kick, a couple, I think it was a couple of years ago, for a touchdown. That was a pretty exciting play. That, that was a great play. But, you know, <laughs> you know, when you have a blocked punt, and, you know, the last couple of years, SC's had a couple of blocked punts, you know, it's so discouraging to your team. What I mean by that, when you have something to go negative, in the special teams area. Your team really hits a momentum change. It really does. Like, say you score a touchdown, and on the uh, when you kick off the opponents, run it back for a touchdown. All of a sudden, the momentum's changed. I mean, or if you're moving the football and you're, you're punting the football and the, the game, you're going to win the football game, and they block your punt, pick it up and run for a touchdown. Uh, the whole momentum of the football game changes with special teams. It, it really does. So special teams can make a difference in the momentum of a football game. It really can, especially when you've got your, your gunners outside on the punt team when you're putting the football and the gunners run down underneath and the guy's ready to run back the ball for uh, make 10 yards or, or run it for a touchdown, and your gunner just smacks it, man, just smacks it. The whole crowd gets excited. Everybody jumps up and down. Your defense runs on the field. And everybody's, you know, excited about the play that was made on special teams. Yeah, it gets people so, fired up, and, you know, you can really turn the whole momentum of a game just on one play on the kicking game. You can. You certainly can. Now, I think if we look back at 2007 a little bit, just I guess some of the areas of concern. Nationally, their net punting was 104th out of 119. They really averaged only 36 yards per punt, not net. It was 32.6 yards net but just being that far under 40 yards this isn't very encouraging three of those punts uh, were blocked and on the punt return side it was the same thing 99 out of 119th most of the time they had Desmond Reed back there well about half the time Desmond Reed back there he only averaged about four yards of return when they put McKnight in there he averaged a little bit better eight and a half yards per return uh, the kickoff returns were a little bit better they're in the upper you know fourth of uh, of the league um Ronald Johnson got most of those kickoff returns, and they averaged about 22 yards per team. But they had no touchdowns on returns. They did give up one kickoff return for a touchdown. Just not that many exciting plays in the kickoff and, you know, in the punt game when you think with so many athletes, there would be some more. They'd be making some big plays and making those, you know, game momentum shifting plays that you were talking about. And I have to agree with you. Uh, in fact, two years ago, their kickoff coverage was just terrible. I mean, if you remember their kickoff coverage, every time you kicked off the football, they were getting, uh, the opponent was getting the ball back to the 30-yard line, 35-yard line, sometimes the 40-yard line, once or twice uh, midfield. Uh, they improved that, I thought, a lot last year with their kickoff coverage. I think that uh, with the type of players that SC has, you look for the big play on a kickoff return. You look for the big play on a punt return. When you have, uh, well, Desmond Reed had hands. You always got to look for hands. You got to look what you want to put back there on a punt off, on a punt return. And that's a guy that's smart. That's a guy that has hands and understand where he is on the football field. Because you, can, you can't make a mistake. You can't fair catch a ball on the two-yard line. You've got to know what you're doing. You can't fumble a punt. But with the number of athletes that USC has, with a Joe McKnight and a Ron Johnson and uh, Patterson coming back, I mean, Patterson reminds me of a great breakaway return guy, small guy with great speed and quickness and toughness and so on, that these guys take great pride in returning kickoffs and returning punts and so on. And you've got to build that same pride into the blocking and holding up the linemen that are covering the field and the gunners and so on coming down the field and you you got to work for field position on this and the only way you learn that and you hate to do that is you do it live you have to do it live and sometimes coaches don't want to do those drills live because they're worried about people getting hurt but you've got to do those drills live to be able to take the proper angles for blocking and knowing how to hit the scene and setting up your block to get that scene as a runner so that's got to all be done live, and your kickoff coverage has got to be done live when you know how hard to go down and how to settle up and how to make that tackle. Your punt coverage has got to be done live. Everything's got to be done live, and you always cringe. I used to almost shut my eyes when we did these things live because you thought someone was always going to get hurt. But you've got to do these drills live. And, uh, you know, and I'm not being critical, but I, I agree. I, I, to have three punts blocked 
is embarrassing, okay? To have three punts block, I think, is embarrassing. I'm sure Coach Carroll feels the same way, so I'm not saying anything that he wouldn't stand up and say himself or behind closed doors tell his team, hey, guys, hey, we're a number one, number two team in the country. You don't block our punts. This is ridiculous. And I'm sure that he's telling his team this. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to get the punts blocked, but it is something that's telling them or he's telling his coaches, hey, this isn't going to happen again, or I'm going to make some changes around here. Somebody's not teaching these guys right because we got the great athletes in America, some of the best athletes in America. we got to be doing some of these things on special teams and some of these other things better as we are on offense and as we are on defense to make ourselves a complete football team. And I'm sure that's what they're striving to do at USC. Believe me, I'm not questioning anything that the Trojans are doing because, hey, they are the best. Yeah, and I think a few years ago when you had like Leonard and Bush and they were winning Heisman's and they were scoring 50 points a game, you could kind of not worry about special teams as much. People still kind of, you know, at least the people on our message boards still kind of complained about it a little bit. But now when they're not scoring as much and it's it's more, not that, the, you know, they've kind of come back to earth a little bit, still putting up great numbers and, and you know, really lights out defense. So it's these, the other two aspects of their game are still great, but you know, special teams still is important. And even when they were great, you know, they could still keep a team close if you had too many, you know, kicks blocked or, or big returns, like you said. Um, but anyway, Coach, thanks for uh, talking some special teams. I wanted to let people know, where can they hear you otherwise besides the Peristyle podcast? Well, I'll tell you, I do uh, weekly shows in Las Vegas that they can get all these shows here in, in California because I'm not doing the pregame or Trojan brunch now during the off season, which I'll be doing again next year. Uh, on ESPN uh, 710 in L.A., but they can get me at kshp.com, kshp.com, and just hit listen. And I'm on every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 6 p.m., and then at 7 p.m. on Thursday nights I do a show called USC Trojan Talk from the Burger Continental in Pasadena. I'd like to invite people to come on down and be there, especially this week, because I've really got a tremendous guest Thursday night at 7 p.m. I heard you, you know had a really high. Be? I heard you have a really high-powered guest that's going to be coming in on Thursday. Yeah, we're going to send the limo <laughs> for him and, and the whole thing, Ryan. All right. Well, that, but, that would be but, me. But, but, don't, but, don't, but don't wait for the limo, but you'll miss the show. Okay. <laughs> I'll be in there for uh, some great food and then and talk uh, talk USC at 7 p.m. Burger Continental in uh, Pasadena. And again, Coach, thanks for your time. When we come back after the break. We're going to talk a little uh, recruiting with Gerard Martinez. But thanks again, Coach. You're listening to the Peristyle Podcast with Ryan Abraham and the coach, Harvey Hyde. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. And now, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. All right, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. This is the uh, second segment of the show, and we are joined by Gerard Martinez. Gerard, how are you doing today? I'm doing with a vengeance. Back with a vengeance. We want to talk a little recruiting, and one of the big things that came out on the site uh, this week was your target list, the offensive and defensive target list for the class of 2009. Can you kind of explain a little bit what the difference between these target lists are and the tenor Troy you came out with recently? Uh, well, the target lists are kind of self-explanatory. I mean, it's just a list of guys at USC for the 2009 class. And um, kind of, you know, in previous years, we ranked them by priority in terms of how hard they're being recruited by USC. But this year we decided to split it up. Uh, into rankings and kind of uh, list each recruit uh, as if he was in the Rivals 100 or the Rivals 250 
and then just kind of go through the list of, of what type of style player he is, if he's a, a pro-style quarterback or if he's an athletic quarterback, uh, if he's a blocking fullback or a running fullback, and uh, go down the list. Each year there's uh, a lot of guys, there's usually about 50-something offers that go out. So we try to keep track with it and uh, you know make it the most accurate. Sometimes the Rivals.com recruiting base, there's so much stuff going on there, it's hard to kind of keep track of everything that goes on with every recruit in the database. And uh, this is a little more centric to uscfootball.com. Okay, and then if uh, just glancing at the first sheet, the, uh, the offensive list, it looks like uh, you have four running backs with USC offers and nine wide receivers. Is there, I mean, there's a lot of young wide receivers and running backs on the team already. Why would they have so many offers out for, for guys in these skill positions? Well, four uh, receivers have uh, scholarship offers right now. Um, two are committed, Devon Flournoy and Randall Carroll. Uh, Shaq Evans from uh, Inglewood High School also has an offer. He's the other California kid that has an offer. And then Marlon Brown, who's the big out-of-state recruit, the big flanker um, from Memphis, Tennessee, plays very very small competition at Tennessee, but if you watch his film, it's very, very impressive. Um, so, uh, you know, with, with receiver position, uh, USC is going to lose some guys finally. Um, this last year, they didn't really lose anybody, and now you're going to start to see some upperclassmen. So they're going to want to kind of fill in those positions. Uh, they only got one receiver last year with Bryce Butler, and obviously receiver, you can put four or five of those guys out in a given formation. So you're going to recruit bigger numbers at that. And, and receivers are, are very versatile too. I mean, you take Randall Carroll, for instance, He's a guy that, uh, while he's, he's being recruited as a wide receiver right now, obviously he has the speed and the ability to play maybe cornerback down the line. Um, running back is kind of a similar position. Patrick Hall is uh, the number one running back on the list. He's committed already to USC, and uh, he may be the best player in this class thus far that's committed for USC. And he's obviously a guy that's just incredibly, incredibly versatile. I mean, if there's anything to describe him, it's versatility. So he's a guy that's listed as a running back, but, you know, he, he's really more or less an athlete, and we'll kind of see how he's used once he gets into uh, the Cardinal Gold. Okay, uh, you actually confused me there a little bit. Did, before, when you had these lists, weren't the, the Reds, in, when you had a name in Cardinal, those were people, players that had an offer? Nope, nope. It's always uh, the offers have been listed. Uh, yes or no, and I always go by written offers. I don't go by verbal offers. Um, sometimes kids don't really know the difference between an offer and, and, and a coach just saying, hey, we really like you. <laughs> so I go by written offers, and I've always made that explanatory. What we did in years past is we had uh, Cardinal were the kids that were high-priority recruits, and it, it tended to go, yeah, if a kid's in Cardinal and he's a high-priority recruit, then he has an offer. But that wasn't always the case. I mean, sometimes – um, you would have a kid that being recruited really hard, but USC was kind of waiting on the scholarship offer. So that, that didn't actually go um, – it wasn't listed like that in the past. It was uh, – Cardinal was just a high priority. Then you had uh, Gold, which was a priority recruit, and then uh, the White, which was uh, kids that were still under evaluation. Okay, so there's four Rivals 100 running backs on the board right now on USC's board and nine Rivals 100 wide receivers. That seems like a lot. Correct. If you look on the def- defensive side – uh, similar thing on the defensive line. Looks like there's about nine guys in the Rivals 100 that USC is targeting there. Um, there's, you know, looks like several offers out there. What's what things looking like? What's been the latest updates on the defensive line recruiting? Well, the latest is that uh, USC has made contact with William Campbell, um, Coach McNair. Uh, got a hold of uh, Cast Tech High School, and he spoke to uh, William Campbell as well as his uh, as well as his teammate Tarek Jones. Now Tarek Jones actually ran the fastest 40 time at the National Junior Combine in San Antonio. He ran a I think it was like a 4-4-3, and then he ran a 4-4-7. Um, who's uh, and he's playing running back and he's a good built kid. Doesn't have any offers right now, but he doesn't really have any film out there either. So I think that that's going to change for him. Um, now if he gets a USC offer, that's a different story. But I think in general he's got definitely going to be a guy that's a Division One prospect. William Campbell is the bigger prospect from that school, uh, a guy who really went to San Antonio and just completely dominated. Uh, he's a big kid. He's 6'4". He's 3'20". He moves really well. He didn't run a great 40. I think his 40 time was like a 5'3 or something like that, um, which isn't a spectacular time. But you're looking at a guy who's uh, 3'20", and uh, just powerful and quick, and 40 time for a defensive lineman is not always uh, a big deal. You're really looking more for a shuttle time. You're looking for feet. And, uh, and he has it. He's really kind of a beast. And uh, you, you look, defensive tackles, they're usually out of state for USC. They're really high-ranked guys 
tend to be out of state, and this year's not really that different. Um, the only guy that's really in the region, which uh, USC has a good shot at, is Corey Adams. He's 6'3", 275 from Scottsdale, um, plays at a very high-level program there, and uh, had actually 24 sacks as a defensive tackle last year, which is pretty impressive considering defensive tackles don't usually get to pass rush as well as uh, defensive ends. And then you have Devon Kennard, 6'4", uh, 240 pounds, defensive end, could play weak side, might grow into being a strong side defensive end, um, probably one of the most coveted recruits in the Western region. And, uh, you know, with defensive linemen, you just you, you always have a lot of bodies. You always want to get a lot of offers out there. And, uh, and, and like in the past, you tend to have to go out of state. But uh, a couple of Arizona boys there, I think USC wants to duplicate what they did uh, when they got Everson Griffin and Chris O'Dowd. Hopefully uh, they're able to get uh, Corey Adams and Devon Kennard. All right, so uh, we talked a lot about the linebackers before, Vontez Perfect just being an absolute beast, and uh, Manti Teo, I think you talked about that a little bit last week. Let's look over the defensive backs a little bit. Um, I'm looking down the, the target list, and it looks like there's nine defensive backs listed in the Rivals 100. Uh, USC's offered several of them, six of them it looks like, couple of them have committed it doesn't look like there's a lot of corners there's a lot of safeties there I'm always a big fan of, of trying to recruit you know those corners or are they just hard to find and, and why are there not more of those guys listed in the rivals 100 well it, it is difficult to find corners I mean pure cover corners really don't exist very much out there nationally um, you're looking at guys usually who are playing other positions that you project at corner and with safety, you tend to have more guys that, uh, that at face value, you go, well, this guy could be a safety. Now, this year, it's actually a little unique. I mean, you have one kid, T.J. McDonald, the son of Tim McDonald, former Trojan, who's committed already at safety. He plays safety. So it's kind of an obvious thing. Hey, he's going to be a safety at the next level. Then you have Christopher Metcalf, and Chris Metcalf plays linebacker at Compton High School. He's 6'2", 190, plays outside linebacker. He projects more as a safety. So, again, there you're starting to have that projection. Um, the other yeah, you, have him off, list, you actually have him listed as a safety. Yes, yeah, because I, I think that's that's where he's going to play. Um, and it's, it's not out of the question that he, he wouldn't play linebacker, but in my opinion, from watching him play, I think he's a little more of a safety. I think he has a little more of that build. Um, and then you have some of the out-of-state guys, Craig Lawson, who's just, if there's a five-star on film, He's got to be it. I mean, he's just spectacular. He could, he he actually could play corner. He's fast enough. He has great size. He's just so mean. <laughs> he just hits people. He's so aggressive. Uh, he plays with no hesitation out there in the field. And and with that, even people talking about him being a safety, but he's not a real big guy. He's only six one. 185, so he could actually play maybe a little slot corner. Um, and then you have a couple guys there that, again, you're looking at kind of projected safeties, um, Jelani Jenkins and Frankie Telford. Now, Frankie Telford and Jelani Jenkins both play outside linebacker, and their film is all outside linebacker. But when you watch them play in space and you see their speed, you're looking at guys that may project better at the strong safety spot. A guy like Troy Palomalu, a guy who can kind of come up to the line of scrimmage and almost be – kind of like a fourth linebacker in the 4-3 defense. So I mean, you have a lot of different guys there. And obviously when you've got Kevin Ellison and you've got uh, Taylor Mays both probably leaving uh, after this year, a lot of people project uh, Taylor Mays as being a guy that's going to leave his junior year. Uh, that's going to be a position where USC needs to get some bodies. They can recruit guys to come in and make an immediate impact. And that's basically why you're going to see, I think, a little more emphasis on the safety recruiting this year. Okay, uh, that makes sense. So it's, it's a good job on the target list. They look really good. I'm going to go over that a little bit more. Those just came out last night. Uh, wanted to talk a little about scheduling. There hasn't been too much, as far as news goes, new offers and stuff this last week, where we've had a you know several weeks in a row where there's just been a ton of of new offers coming out. What's the recruiting schedule like going into these last, you know, week or so before spring football and during spring football? How much contact can the coaches have with recruits? And is this typically a time where you're going to see a lot of new offers and possibly new commits starting to come around? Well, I, the, the last rumblings of a new offer actually went out to uh, Hoboken defensive tackle Isaac Holmes, uh, who's about a 6'3", 295-pound defensive tackle. He's not ranked yet by Rivals.com, but he has a pretty nice-looking offer list. That's not been a confirmed offer, but he is claiming a scholarship offer from USC. That's the latest. Um, before that, we had Frankie Telford, obviously, uh, over the weekend get his offer. In terms of the scheduling, you know, I, I don't really know. Um, that would be more of a of a 
of a question for the coaching staff. You know, I'm not in on those meetings specifically. Uh, I think that when spring ball comes around, the emphasis switches. I think that as it gets closer, the planning and the preparation goes more towards the team, and it's less about recruiting. That's just it. Just in terms of priority. So I think if there's anything, um, maybe spring ball kind of tends to to put recruiting on the back burner a little bit. And then obviously, when May comes around and spring ball ends, you have the May evaluation period, and then recruiting heats right back up. Yeah, you typically see at least you know there's a junior day at some point where players can come out and watch spring football a little bit so I think you see a little bit of that but you're right it just seems like the last few years there's been so much emphasis on you know they hit the road a little bit and they do whatever they can to figure out what's going on recruiting front then once spring ball hits it's just they kind of have to focus on the team and then worry about recruiting later on yeah exactly all right so let's switch gears a little bit um Bruce Feldman uh he's a good friend of the the website he's a good friend of ours and he is over at uh, ESPN the magazine he, his latest uh, piece from ESPN, the magazine, kind of talked about recruiting busts a little bit. And he, he started off talking about Terrell Pryor, who was the Rivals.com Player of the Year for the class of 2008. Uh, athletic quarterback, if you're not familiar with him, check out some of his tape. It's pretty impressive. Um, did not commit on signing day. People think you know he could have gone to Penn State. He could have gone to Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon. There's a bunch of teams in the mix, and he still has not yet committed. Uh, the, the basic point of his story if you had not read it was you know don't worry about guys like this as for as many can't miss guys that came out and and did really well there's just as many can't miss guys that just kind of you know disappeared into obscurity and Xavier Lee is a kind of an example of that down at Florida State it was another five-star athletic quarterback that was supposed to be you know the next thing since sliced bread and Bruce actually mentioned one of the USC recruits he talked about the famed class of 2003 for USC where they had so many guys that have gone on or, or will go on to the NFL. Uh, guys like Ryan Khalil, Reggie Bush, you know, obviously won the Heisman. Lendell White, the all-time... Smith. Steve Smith. Uh, Lendell White, the all-time touchdown leader at USC. But the most heralded player of that entire class, which was an amazing class, there's no doubt about it, was Whitney Lewis. And, you know, obviously he ended up transferring and, and, and just, you know, didn't pan out to what everyone expected Nowadays, what do you think? You know, there's so much more recruiting coverage. There's more people covering them. We have highlight, you know, highlight reels of just about everyone that USC has ever recruited in the last few years. We have so much more tape. Is it harder now to to find a, a real can't miss that turns into a bust, or is it still the same as we've seen in years past? Is it harder to find those players that are can't miss? Is that what you're asking? I'm, I'm just saying, are we going to see as many busts as we have in the past? Or do you think because the, oh, the yeah. process is more, <laughs> it's still going to be busts? I think we're going to see more busts, in, in fact, because the recruiting process has now been fast-forwarded to a certain degree. It's been bumped up, and you have more colleges uh, sending out offers earlier. And we talked about this uh, last week, the week before, about USC sending out more scholarships than they ever have before, having more commitments at this point in the year than they ever had before. And that's a, an issue that I think all colleges have kind of had to deal with. Um, if you bump up the recruiting game, you bump up the evaluation period. So that means that you've got to get guys in your camps earlier. That means you've got to go out and you have to scout players earlier in their games. Everything's become a, a little bit uh, a little fast-forwarded. And with that said, you're going to miss on more guys because you see less of them. Um, you're not going to be able to sit back and watch a lot of senior film because there's some guys who, who come out of nowhere uh, their first couple games as seniors, and they become five-star guys. A, a good example of that was Terrence Tolliver. He was a receiver um, from Texas uh, last year, the year before. It was the year before. And, um, you know, a guy that really nobody talked about his junior year, and then over the summer going into his senior year, that's when all of a sudden he blew up. And all of a sudden the guy became the best receiver in the country, uh, according to many, and it was a guy that Texas never even offered a scholarship because, well, Texas wanted to get guys in earlier. They wanted their commitments and their offers to happen the spring before. So in that case, you're going to have more busts because I think more colleges are, 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 are gambling a little more. You know, they're just, you know, offering guys on tape and everything has become bumped up. And so, yeah, you're going to have more busts. You're going to have more guys that come in with hype from a good sophomore or junior season, schools are going to jump on the kid to try to get on them early, 
and he'll sign somewhere and he'll be committed and then you know he'll go to college and people will go wow this kid really wasn't as good as he was supposed to be maybe he peaked his junior year maybe he was a great player earlier in his high school career and he didn't actually develop from that point on so yeah I think the bust uh, that's that's always going to happen you're always going to have that but I think there's more or at least there's a greater chance of that happening I think more in the future yeah I think I mean the development process is it's different for every player. And I think that when you do move up the recruiting process, you bring up a good point is that you are missing out on the chance to see some of these guys develop. I mean, for every, you know, Taylor Mays, who looks like he could be in the NFL when he comes in as a freshman, there's guys that it took three years to just, you know, kind of mature. And they didn't look like that until they were 21 and they were juniors or maybe even going into their senior year of college. So trying to project what those guys are going to be doing in high school and you used to do that when they were seniors, and now you're doing that as juniors. And even, you know, they've been offering sophomores too. Uh, I can see where your point there, where you would actually see uh, see more see more bust than than you would in years past. And look at the you know, last year we had another example would be Von Telemac. Von Telemac didn't have a scholarship offer until mid midway through the summer. Uh, it was like July, almost August by the time he got his first scholarship offer. Why? Because he really didn't do much as a junior. He wasn't like a big-time spectacular player coming out of Long Beach Poly as a junior. He got all his scholarship offers from having a great senior season. He, early in the senior season, had like five, six picks in one game against Carson and against Dominic Blackman, who was a Division One quarterback, he picked them off three times, or at least he picked off uh, Carson three times in the first quarter. He picked Dominic Blackman off twice. Then Blackman got knocked out of the game by Jarrell Casey, and then uh, Von Mack picked up the back, uh, backup quarterback. So he had three picks. That was you know, like the third, fourth game of the season, and that's when he got all his offers. That's when everybody started to really you know, look at him. USC came in with their offer, and it was you know, kind of like he hit the ground running from there. But as his junior season, nobody knew the guy. Nobody really talked about the guy. So – you know, people talk about early signing periods, and they want you know everything wants to get bumped up earlier. And if that happens, guys like Von Telemac, they definitely lose out. And then there's going to be another guy that's the opposite of that. There's going to be a guy that maybe he has a bunch of picks his junior year. He's a great player his sophomore year, and then his senior year, all of a sudden, you know, the guy kind of just peaks out, and all of a sudden, he's not the great potential that everybody thought he was. So it works both ways, and I, I definitely think the bus thing. There's, there's just more chance of that happening, I think, in the future as colleges try to get a jump on the evaluation period into the sophomore, junior years. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And if uh, one of the other parts of Bruce's story was football recruiting to basketball recruiting, saying that it's, it's, you're not going to get as many busts of the, the can't-miss uh, prospects in basketball as you would in football. I mean, part of the reason is you get to see these guys playing against high-level competition outside of their high school, where they get to play in AAU games, Exactly, uh, and play yeah. actual basketball. When, when when you get to see the top prospects come together at a combine or camp or something like that, I mean, they're playing usually without pads. They're running 40s. They're doing drills. What they're not doing is playing football. So you don't really get to see them compete on the football field with pads like you would uh, usually until All-Star games after the season, but like you would in, in basketball. It's just a different-natured game where you can you can have basketball players, the top basketball players, play against each other you know, all year long and, you know, outside of their high school games with those, those AAU games, you just don't get the same kind of thing in football. Well, and, and the most important note on that is that there are just more kids that play football than basketball, and you just have more kids to look at as well. So, you know, there, it's just it's the process is much different. Football is a different kind of game. You can't just have guys playing football the whole summer. You know, I mean, you could do that with basketball. Guys can play pickup games. Guys can go in and, and play on these little league teams and, and everything outside their high school teams, and it's a different kind of game, whereas football, you, you, kids would be worn out. I mean, there's already kids – you know, a lot of a lot of people talk about the peak factor in football, where you get a kid who plays and he starts real young. He starts at six, you know, seven years old. He's playing football and he goes up, and all of a sudden when he gets into high school, the kid's already peaked out. He's already worn out. He's had injuries. He's he's learned what he's going to learn. There's not a lot of potential after football, um, or actually, I should say after high school in college for him in football. And so that that becomes an issue. And it, it's a different kind of game. There's there's more uh, attrition with football. And I think that's kind of uh, the the big issue with not being able to have kids come out and 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 pull full you know put full pads on and go after each other at camps. So they have full pad camps now. I mean they have uh, camps throughout the country. Even some of the colleges host full pad camps. But you don't see a ton of great players there. Why? Because the high school coaches don't want to send their players there and get them hurt. I mean they're not 
that's not something that they want to do. And like I said, it's the nature of the game. Football, you, you, there's more injuries, there's more attrition, so you, you know there's less opportunities. Guys want to save themselves for when it counts. And for these high school kids, that's their senior season. That's when it counts. Great. All right, great stuff, Gerard. That's the uh, end of the second segment. When we come back, we're going to have the USC campus crawl. We can talk a little about the football team still with an interview with Mike Morgan I did this week during the off-season workouts. And also, we're going to hear a little bit from Tim Floyd and the USC basketball team, which is going into the Pac-10 tournament this week. So, again, thanks for your time, Gerard, and uh, we'll see you next week. Awesome. See ya. Stay tuned for more of the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. And now, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. This is the third and final segment of the podcast. If you have any questions, you can always email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. It's time for the USC Campus Crawl, where we run down all the latest news in the world of Trojan athletics. Now, there's a lot going on for both the men and the women, so let's get right to the USC campus crawl. Football. On the gridiron, the off-season workouts continued this week as the team has less than two weeks to prepare for spring football. After the latest workout, we caught up with linebacker Michael Morgan out of Dallas, Texas. He surprised a lot of people coming to USC when he decided at the very last minute. The coaches recruited me real hard and then on that, that the day before signing day, coaches talked to me, Coach Norton and all the coaches, and I was just like, man, I just had to make my mind up. So I was like, I wanted you to come here. Morgan and his teammates did a modified conditioning workout on Tuesday with Coach Carlisle. It was a little, something a little new. We had uh, sleds out here and a combination of a few things that we've already done, like sleds and um, eight-play drives and all kind of stuff. Mike is up to six foot three, two 215 pounds, and enjoys playing strong side linebacker. I'm Sam. I'm a, the strong side linebacker. Because the Sams get all the blitzes, and that's really what I like to do. So, you know, some, some sacks. I'm trying to do something here, man. The guy who keeps everyone together is linebacker coach Ken Norton. Coach Norton, he's a cool dude, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I like Coach Norton a lot. We, we're really close, you know. Come up and meet with him a lot and just talk to him about the game. And he ups us out a lot. Basketball. Head basketball coach Tim Floyd really has his guys on a roll. The team has won six out of their last seven games, heading into Thursday's Pac-10 tournament where they face off against Arizona State. He also had a huge win on Saturday against number seven Stanford. And here are a few of his words after that victory. Well, it was a really good win for us. We, we uh, didn't have a lot of time to prepare, but our kids played hard and played inspired and, and, um, I think both teams were worried about a letdown a little bit because we felt like we got into the NCAA tournament and we've been playing in big games, it seems like, for about uh, seven weeks after starting 0-3. And um, our kids just played inspired. Uh, they, they played hard, uh, played very unselfishly. Uh, we were able to, to get them on the boards, which I couldn't have envisioned going into the game. And it's probably the most encouraging thing about our team right now is we were last in the league in rebounding forever and we've now I think out rebounded five or six teams in a row and, and that's a great rebounding team that we played against tonight. They may have been a little bit flat, I don't know, coming off of that uh, uh, loss over at UCLA because they sure played great over there and had an opportunity to win it. Um, but uh, you know, they're, they're a dangerous team. We probably didn't give uh, Kenny Brown enough respect uh, as far as his ability to shoot it and he really hurt us in the first half. I thought that uh, Taj was uh, terrific tonight on, on the boards. Uh, we got uh, great uh, rebounding from our guards coming back. I think they had nine between them at halftime. I don't know how they ended up doing over the course of the game, but uh, getting that edge in the first half was critical. It's the first time we've pressed all year long, and our guys were able to get that into the game. And uh, 
speed the pace. We wanted to play at a, at a fast pace tonight because they're so efficient in the half-court game. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much mileage we got out of it. I don't remember many steals, but uh, it, it did pick the pace up to our liking. And uh, we were able to get some easier baskets and we were able to get at Stanford as a result of, of transition. Uh, O.J. was special. Um, I thought Dwight Lewis played very well. Um, Hackett got in a little foul trouble, but um, but played well when he was in there. Um, you know, uh, Keith and Davon all gave us great minutes. So it was a good team win. I thought collectively they did a great job defensively. During the press conference, Coach Floyd also had some very nice things to say about his star freshman guard, O.J. Mayo. Well, he, he's the most misrepresented, misportrayed athlete that I've ever seen come into college. Um, been very dependable, uh, very accountable, extremely bright, not one ounce of trouble. He's a leader. He's a student. You know, he's, he's you know, a great GPA, participates, and great talent. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he was beaten up by the media in high school. And, uh, uh, and, and it seems that some would love to make him look bad still. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's irresponsible on their part without getting to know the kid and what, he, what he's about. And, and I think he's easy to respect. I think the great story would be, look where he's come from. Look, look, look what he's done, look what he represents himself to be, who he is every day, what kind of, what kind of uh, uh, person is he, how does he treat people, does he treat people with respect, does he do the best he can every day, you know, and, um, uh, and he does all of those things and has done it every day. He's been less trouble than anybody, you know, that we've had. And, uh, you know, I think he's a great kid and, uh, you know, I wish him the best, whatever happens. Baseball. The men of Troy won four games in a row, including three at Winthrop in South Carolina, before falling to number 13 UC Irvine 11-3. The road doesn't get any easier for the Trojans with a series against number 9 Long Beach State coming up this weekend. Water Polo. The number 3 women's water polo team had an MPSF sweep last weekend with wins over then number 3 California, 8-7, and a 18-4 beatdown of the University of Pacific. Next up, another tough test, number one, UCLA at the McDonald Swim Stadium on Friday, March 14th. Volleyball. The men's volleyball team lost to number three Northridge in four games, dropping their record to 9-11 overall. Next up is number 13, UC Santa Barbara, on Wednesday, March 12th, followed up by an alumni match on Saturday, March 15th at the Galen Center. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.